You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I hope you are happy to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Thank you, wife. Machine. I love that. Praise God. Amen. It's time for the word of God, and we love the word of the Lord around here, don't we? Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. And so we want the Lord to show us the way today. Amen. Our pastor is a Bible nerd, so he eats up the word. He loves to be in it. But let's pray the Lord's anointing on him today. The Lord's word is already anointed, but we want God to just lay his hand on him so that he might speak as an oracle of God. Father, we pray in the service today that you will minister to us through your word. Anoint Pastor Nate. Lord God, anoint this congregation that we will have hear, ears to hear what the church needs to hear today. Bless us all today. Bless the folks online that's consuming the service online. And we pray a blessing upon everybody today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, my brother. Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, we can do better than that. Praise the Lord, everyone. We welcome all of you joining us online right now. We want you to follow along. We want you to say amen right where you are. Uh, let your house ring with those shouts of amen. And hopefully your neighbors will know that you're a good church folk just stayed at home. So, <laughs> But we're glad you're with us. I'm preaching today from this question, how do I know if I'm anointed? How do I know if I am anointed? I, I should start by confessing to all of you that uh, one of the great desires of my life, and I think most of you could say the same thing, one of our great passions, one of our great longings is to feel deep in our bones that we are anointed of God. How many of you feel that way here today? I want to be anointed of God. The highest, the highest place for the creation is to be used by the creator who crafted it because you are not an accident. Your creation was not an accident. The gifts that God has placed upon you are not an accident. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Can the church say amen? amen. I have two readings I am going to refer you to. You do not have to stand. Uh, hopefully the text of these passages will be on the screens. But first, from the book of Exodus chapter number 30, Verse number 31, and thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh it shall not be poured. Notice that. It's not to be poured on the flesh. Neither shall ye make another like it. It's not to be duplicated or copied. After the com composition of it, it is holy, it shall be holy unto you. Whoever tries to imitate it, compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, notice the stranger, shall be cut off from his people. That is an Old Testament word given to covenant people of God. Now, we're going to move in time and yes in scripture and we're going to arrive inevitably in Acts chapter number two where an apostle by the name of Peter 
is going to preach God's Word for a moment, and he is going to connect it to an Old Testament prophecy. So what you have is an apostolic moment in the birth of the church that is being connected by prophecy to a prophet named Joel, all built upon the foundation of law, which is in Exodus chapter number 30, uh, referring to the anointing. Let's read in Acts 2.17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. How many of you love the scripture? You just have to kind of put a preacher tone in your voice when you say it. You can't read it like, and it shall come to pass in the last day. It just doesn't work. You've got to say, it shall come to pass in the last day. And then church people are like, oh, mm. that's church people right there. Saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. All right, let's get started. How do I know if I am anointed? If you want to understand how the Word of God communicates to people who all of us are limited in our knowledge, our understanding, and our spiritual knowing. If you want to understand that, and it is important to, to understand this, uh, you have to be ex- accepting and comfortable with symbols, spiritual symbols, because God chooses symbols to teach us about subjects that are difficult to know. You are a spiritual being, but you are held within the limits of your fleshly senses. You are held in the limits and those that periphery of knowing that is the result of your five senses and what you can know to be true in your life. Uh, that is the limitation. The result of that is so much of your life will feel like looking at spiritual things through a glass darkly. Uh, it's very common for me to have people uh, reach out to me after they've had a very troubling dream, and they want to know the same thing I want to know after I've had a troubling dream, and don't act righteous, the same thing you want to know after you've had a troubling dream, and it's always some version of what meaneth this. Uh, we want to understand because we know God speaks to us of a realm that is not accessible through our five senses. And he does it by symbolizing things we have already sensed. He teaches you what you cannot know by the perceptions you have had of the things you can know. This isn't just an Old Testament prophetic type instruction. This isn't an Old Testament poetic type instruction. This is a New Testament parable type instruction where you are taught of a world you cannot sense through your grasp of a world you have already sensed. And this is the symbol and the power of the symbol. Are you with me this morning? Are you going to stick with me? Now, uh, Brother Don has already outed me. I am a bit of a Bible nerd, and I want to take you on a journey of understanding, and I want to make it as interesting as possible, but uh, I may fail at the interesting part. So uh, this scripture given to us by the apostle 
on the day of Pentecost, saying, it shall come to pass in the last day, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, is a connection. It is going to bridge all the way back to anointing oil as symbol of God's purpose upon us. Anointing is given for purpose. It is not given for reassurance. Now, I know if you are a certain type of a church runt like I was and you grew up in the church, you may reassure yourself by what church feels like. You may reassure yourself when the Spirit touches you, and you may wonder whether or not you've lost your high election if you don't feel the Spirit. I understand that it just means you're people, normal, ordinary people like us. But anointing is not given so you will be reassured. It's not even given so you will in some manner uh, know in your heart of a special exalted status. It's given for a divine purpose. I'm going to show you that in the Scripture. And here the Apostle Peter is connecting. He's connecting what the house of Israel knows of God's anointing upon people with a promise given to a prophet of a change in how God was going to anoint people to this day at the beginning of the church when the prophet, uh, the, the, the apostle is saying that promise change is now here. All right, watch this. Uh, the promise of the scripture will be literally fulfilled in the book of Acts when he says, uh, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You will see in the book of Acts all kinds of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, not just Jewish people. You will see all kinds of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, also in this passage, you will see sons and daughters prophesying. Let me give you an example. Philip has two daughters. Philip is an evangelist in the book of Acts. He has two daughters, and they are known in the early church both to be uh, prophecies. <laughs> How would I say that? Um, yeah, you understand what I'm saying. Both of them prophesy and have the ministry of prophecy upon them in the New Testament church, Acts chapter number 21. I encourage you to read it for yourself. Uh, they both serve as a detailed fulfillment of a broad spiritual promise. Luke will not let any of the prophecy in the message on the day of Pentecost slip under, as it were, the bridge and be forgotten. He will show its fulfillment in the life of the New Testament church. I love that about Luke. You also will see things fulfilled of uh, prophecy by sons and visions by sons where uh, Agabus will uh, prophesy uh, of a great famine and he will prophesy of Paul's impending arrest. Rest. Also in Acts 21, Cornelius, an unsaved Gentile, uh, described as a devout man, even so, who does not know Jesus, will be filled with the Spirit. He will be led to the apostle, and he himself will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the anointing is going to fall upon all flesh. All of these is fulfilled in the book of Acts. Stay with me. I want you to see how in the Old Testament there is, there is God's commandments. We read them in the book of Exodus, and there were four things that were given. And interestingly, the first two of them have been removed through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you this. The first commandment of the anointing, the holy anointing oil, 
was that it was not to be poured upon the flesh. It was not to be poured upon man's flesh. But what happens when Jesus is uh, complete in his work of spiritual covering, let me remind you, every one of you need a substitute holiness. Your holiness isn't good enough. You need a substitute righteousness. Your righteousness isn't enough, and I have good news. Christ has become your substitute. Stay with me. This, fle- this anointing was not to be poured upon man's flesh, but after Jesus, what happens? Uh, the prophet says, uh, and the apostle preaches, it will be poured upon uh, all flesh. Not just Jewish flesh, not just righteous people's flesh, not just if you're good enough or you know the right people or you're in the right family flesh, but somebody say it with me, all flesh, this is the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ. He no longer is hidden from you, but he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you you are his own. And so the change is no longer is there a prohibition against anointing upon the flesh, but Jesus Christ has made possible, has made it possible that this anointing oil is poured upon all flesh. Secondly, uh, it was not supposed to be poured upon strangers. We read that last scripture we read, whoever put it, puts it on a stranger shall be cut off uh, even from his people, not to be poured upon a stranger. Because of Christ, this has been changed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. This is what it means when somebody accepts Christ. You'll see that used in the Scripture. What are they talking about? They're not saying it's the end of God's work in you. They're saying it's the beginning of God's work in you, and you've accepted Christ. What are you accepting? You're accepting that there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. You're accepting no longer is it through bulls or goats. No longer is it through ceremonial offerings or Old Testament procedure. There is now only one access to God, the eternal one, the holy one of Israel. There's one access, and that is through Jesus Christ. And I am accepting that there is access by one spirit unto the Father, and it happens through Jesus. Now, therefore, oh, praise God, you are no more strangers and foreigners. There is no more strangers. You can't say, well, I'm from this continent, and therefore Christianity isn't for me. Let me tell you, there's probably a great revival going on on your continent. You can no longer say, I am from this people. That means the gospel is not for me. No, I will point you to hundreds of thousands of people who are related to you in their heritage, and they say the gospel was for me. Hear me, there is no longer strangers. You are no longer far away. But now the writer says you are fellow citizens with the saints and indeed you are the household of God. He has adopted you. He has given you his name. He has paid your debt. Oh, praise God, somebody. How do I know that I am anointed? Am I just a man with a title? Am I just a preacher in the South? Am I just a guy who grew up, had opportunity and access to ministry through exposure, 
and began the journey and in time was able to, uh, as it were, step into my own uh, place. Uh, is that all it is? How do I know that I am anointed? Uh, uh, that's what we're trying to answer. Both of these prohibitions in the Old Testament have been taken away through Jesus Christ. And there's two, there's a total of four, there's two that have been taken away, and there are two that are still uh, manifest, but in a slightly different way. Uh, the third prohibition of the anointing was it was not to be imitated in any, any way. You were not to try to figure out how to make it for your own uh, substitutionary use. It was holy unto the Lord. Uh, today there isn't a prohibition against trying to make the anointing. It's no longer a formula only held by priesthood. And if you try to make it yourself, you are cast out, excommunicated, as it were, from God's people. That time has passed. Today, it's no longer a fake uh, uh, anointing oil. Now it's something else. It is a fake Christ. Now you can read in Matthew 24, verse number 23, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. What do we mean when we say Christ? What is the meaning of that uh, Aramaic Hebrew word Christ? It literally means the anointed one. The reason why you're trying to be like Christ, the reason why you are wanting to walk with him and manifest him, his heart, his way, is because in the same manner he showed us how to bridge heaven and earth, how to be anointed flesh, flesh overshadowed by spirit. In the same manner, we want to live our life bridging this realm and the promise of God. We want to be a Jacob's ladder of connection between the here and now and the there and then. We want to be anointed ourselves. Just as he was the perfect anointed one, we want to be anointed. And a false Christ is one who promotes a false anointing. And they say to be like Christ is something that the Gospels do not show. To have a false Christ is to define, uh, as it were, something that you like. To take a penknife to Scripture and say this, this, and this. This is what we should be in order to say we are like Jesus and not to let him stand in the totality of what he did. In other words, you do not get to pick what matters to him. He is going to pick what matters to him. You don't get to choose this sign and say this is what it means to be like Christ. He is going to pick his own sign and he is going to say this is the way walk ye in it. If he was simply open to interpretation, we could take a penknife to his ministry and say more of this and less of that. I have heard people act like if you do not have miracles happen in your life in some uh, dramatic way, then you are not like Jesus. To which I say, we all should want miracles and we all should desire miracles, but he did more than just miracles. I've heard other people say, well, if you don't do this, then you're not like Jesus. If you don't live like this, then you're not like Jesus. All of these things are true. But be careful lest you take away or add to the Scripture. You have to let him stand alone. Hide your pen knives. 
And so uh, the false Christ is the claim of an anointing that is really your preference, not his way. The third thing that was a prohibition uh, or a promise, not so much a prohibition, is that was this anointing was not just for the generation to which it was given, but it was to continue to the generations to come. That is the same promise we have today. Uh, So let me show you how this begins to translate into the New Testament, because in the New Testament is where our era of ministry begins. Our way of knowing God begins. We now have access through Jesus Christ. We now walk a journey of faith made possible through Jesus Christ. Can I have a big amen? We no longer have this way of bulls and goats. We no longer have this way of ordered ceremonial systems of worship. We now live out a more symbolic way that the New Testament will describe as a tabernacle of David style where worship and praise is in your heart when you seek spirit and truth. When you choose to involve your passion, your ability with his truth, praise now begins to erupt from you as though you build a house for the Lord. As though the song you sing on Monday morning is part of building a dwelling for the Lord. As though the way you carry yourself at work when someone speaks ill of you is now a dwelling place for the Lord. As though now the manner in which you choose your personal convictions and the manner in which you choose to serve, not as duty, but as worship. It is all you building a dwelling house for the Lord. And the Lord showed David where to build. It was not an accident that it was built on Mount Moriah just outside Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would later be built around it. It was there at Mount Moriah that David said, this is the place. We're going to start gathering everything we need. We're going to gather the cedar that we need. We're going to gather the gold that we need. We're going to gather the best foundation stones that we need. And out of this hunger and passion, God's going to say, I will build me a house. What is your hunger or where is your hunger? What is your passion or where is your passion? You are the dwelling place of Almighty God. It's not a duty to come to church. We are building a dwelling place for the Lord. It's not a duty for you to walk righteously in your life. You are building a dwelling place for the Lord. Free yourself from the delusion that you are in some way earning a salvation. It's not salvation. Salvation. It is worship unto the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, we also have a different image. It's not just anointing. In the New Testament, we have a word addition to our symbolic teachers, these symbols that teach us. Uh, and that word is not anointing, but unction. You ever heard of the word unction? Unction is just when you take the anointing oil or you take the ointment and you rub it in. It's not just poured upon, but it is rubbed in. And so the writer, uh, John, in his first epistle, he says, you have an unction of the, from the Holy One. It, as is, it is as though uh, God isn't just pouring it upon you. He's not just uh, bringing you strangers close. He's not just making you sinners holy. Holy. 
but he is now rubbing it into you. It is now becoming part of who you are, not just something that is shed off. It is now incorporated into your being, not simply covering your exterior. It's not just on the outside. It's now on the inside. It's not an external law. It is an internal worship, somebody. So it is fair to say that in the Old Testament, it was poured on you. In the New Testament, it was rubbed in you. Now, I'm going to tell you a joke. This is a joke. This is just a joke. But you know why when you're praying, people all gather around, they start rubbing all over you? That's because we're trying to rub the holy anointing oil of God in you. That's a joke. You got to be careful where you rub people nowadays. Don't be getting excited and start rubbing people because the pastor made a joke. All right, moving along in a mostly religious manner. Uh, anointing is always given scripturally for a purpose. Let me show you that. There are three anointings in the Old Testament. You need to understand all of them. The first is the anointing of a leper. This is a powerful anointing because this is the only time you will see an ordinary person anointed in the Bible. Uh, you will see this when a leper comes, Le Leviticus uh, 14, 29. And uh, now I'll get to king, the anointing of a king and the anointing of a priest in a moment. But this is the ordinary person uh, who has been sick uh, with this terrible, spiritually symbolic disease. Uh, and they have come to show that they are now whole. And uh, Leviticus 14, 29, and the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hands, he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed to make an atonement for him before the Lord. Notice the word atonement. You are not made holy by your effort. You are all sinners, but you are made holy by the anointing of an anointing oil. This is the work of Christ in your life. An atonement has been made to you, and the status of sin has been removed from you. This is the anointing of the leper. Uh, it was for the cleansing of one who has been separated from God's righteousness, separated from God's covenant. It is an anointing to bring someone back into the embrace of spiritual fellowship. We all of us see this as the anointing of the self. This is a covering for sin. All of us need, as I have already said, this substitutionary holiness in our life. What does that mean? That means when judgment comes and looks at you, he had better not see you. He had better see this substitution that is in place for you. The righteous Lamb of God, for sinners slain, blood will be applied to the doorposts of your life. That same door that Christ stood and knocked at. And you open unto him. And when he comes in, his righteousness is applied as a substitutionary holiness to you. And now judgment looks at you and thinks, my, 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 there is a perfect believer. Now, I know this is hard for some of you, and you're mad about it because your whole life you've really enjoyed determining who was good and who was bad in the church. I want to say, sadly, we're not probably the church for you. <laughs> um, uh, that's not how it works around here. Um, <laughs> Uh, Lord, help me. I'm getting uh, myself into trouble. Uh, none of us deserve it. None of us are good enough. All of us have been covered, covered, covered by the blood. Our 
works of becoming are a worship unto the Lord, and they are a witness to the people we are sent to minister to. They are not a plan whereby we become good enough for God. They are a worship. If you love me, keep my commandments. And they are a witness. Let others see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so this anointing is the anointing of covering for the self. Uh, it must happen to all of us. It is a covering for us. Uh, it is God's accomplishment for us. The second anointing of the Scripture is the anointing of the priest. Exodus 40, verse number 13. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. A priest ministers unto the Lord. Uh, you are anointed to minister unto the Lord. You need to be in every day of your life a worshiper. Your mouth needs to speak the glory of God. Can I have a big amen? Your mouth needs to speak the glory of God. It is not acceptable for you to think worship is church activity. The church is full of saved people. It's easy to worship at church. You need to be a worshiper in your life. You need to testify in your life. You need to play your gospel music in your life. Can I get a big amen? You need to show forth the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and into this marvelous life in your life. You are a praise maker. Why? You are anointed to be a priest. Notice that in the New Testament, there is no anointing of the leper. There is only repentance, forgiveness of sin, the covering of baptism, the spiritual adoption of the name of Jesus. And then we are called into not a threefold anointing. We're called into a twofold anointing. That anointing of covering of sin, there was nothing we could do for that. This is God bringing flesh into his presence. You can't put anointing on the flesh. Remember Exodus? And bringing the stranger and the foreigner into his presence. Remember, you can't anoint a stranger or a foreigner. This is the anointing of the leper. But let me tell you what you are anointed to be. You have the anointing of a priest upon you, and that means you minister unto the Lord. Your voice should speak of his greatness. Your voice should testify in the middle of your fears that I am going to trust God. You should say it in your life. You should speak it when you're afraid. You should speak to the fear in your life. And you should say, yes, I'm afraid. But I choose to stand on the promises of God. I, I speak with my lips the testimony of this truth. He who brought me this far has not brought brought me this far to leave me, but he is going to take me all the way home. And even if you're the only one who can hear it, you need to raise your voice. Even if the only ones who can hear it is the devil, you ought to preach to the devil. If the only ones who can hear it is the angels, you ought to preach to the angels. Why? 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 I can't have my own anointing for the leper. God had to do that. But let me tell you the anointing I have. I'm called to a priesthood. And I'm going to exalt God. I'm going to... 
God forbid we ever come a church where there isn't a shouted hallelujah in our pew. God forbid we ever come a church where testimonies are not common regularly among us. God forbid we ever become a church that know how to shout about faith but don't know how to live faith. You, are anno- you have the anointing of a priest upon you, and you minister unto the Lord. And secondly, the in, or thirdly in the Scripture, the third anointing is the anointing of a king. Now, I want to show you how this plays out biblically, and you can see it here, uh, in the anointing of the first king, King Saul, by God's man, Samuel. And the Bible tells us, 1 Samuel 10 and 1, all of these Scriptures are in your notes, Uh, Then Samuel took a vial of oil, and what did he do with it? He poured it upon Saul's head. He pours it upon Saul's head, and he kissed him, and he said. Now, notice this statement. This is, as it were, a rhetorical question posed to a new king. It is as though the prophet is trying to shape Saul's emotional response to this experience. It's as though he's hoping Saul has the spiritual insight and wisdom to get what's going on here. And so after he anoints him, he says this to the new king, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Now, in preacher talk, (laughs) in prophet talk, in under, shall we say, uh, in uh, subtle language, this is what he's saying. Saul, this is a great moment, but it's not really about you. It's about God's inheritance. Uh, the anointing of the king is your anointing for other people. The anointing of the king is your anointing for other people. As if the prophet would say, Saul, what is your anointing really for? Is this for you to celebrate self? Is this for you to banny about like a new rooster? Or is this about God's people? Why are you exalted? Why are you given an army? Why are you given a crown? Is this about you and your TV show and your private jet? (laughs) Bring it on, Lord, bring it on. (laughs) Or is this about God's people? Or is this about God's people? Why are you gifted? You're gifted. You're anointed. God has invested in you. Why, 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 why? You are, you are uh, as it were, a caretaker of God's inheritance in your life. God raised you up. You didn't deserve it. You weren't good enough. Could it not be that you were given responsibility for God's people? Could it not be there's people that God loved enough for to die for? Could it not be that God wants you to make this gift not about you but about others. And so you see this moment where uh, Saul has to answer this question for himself. Why am I blessed? You have to answer that question for yourself. Why am I anointed? Why have I found a way of faith when others haven't? Why did my life work out a certain way when others died young? Why am I in this place? Why? You have to answer that. And out of that 
comes your spiritual anointing and your calling. Because this anointing of a priest is that you might minister unto the Lord. But the anointing of a king is that you might minister to other people. This anointing of a king will be progressive in your life. It will, be, it will feel like a spiritual becoming. It will not feel like in one moment everything is finished. If that is your uh, subtle belief, I want you to know life will st- soon disabuse you of that deception. Uh, it's not going to happen in a moment, but it will be a continually uh, becoming, as it were. David was anointed in the midst of his brethren in 1 Samuel 16, uh, but God was the only one who could see his potential. His own mama couldn't see his potential. That's how my mom was for years. And even now, she struggles sometimes. But David's own mom could not see his potential. And his dad could not see. Don't get me started on dad. His dad could not see his potential. And as a result, that's funny. I don't care what you say. Uh, <laughs> And they let him tend the sheep. Just let that minister to you. They let him tend the sheep while the brethren were presented. I'm just cutting up, having a lot of fun up here. Uh, David was first anointed in the midst of his brethren. Then he was sent back to finish taking care of the sheep. That's how it works. Later, there was a progressive unfolding. He endures trouble and setback and sorrow and suffering. And he has some victory in his life, but still a long way to go. Second Samuel 2, the men of Judah come, and they anoint David king over the house of Judah. That's one of the tribes making progress. And they told David, saying that the men of uh, Jabesh-Gilead were there and that they had buried Saul. In other words, we anoint you as king progress. And David is anointed again in Second Samuel 3 and 1 over all the house of Israel. You see this progression of anointing in the life of of David as he is becoming. All of you are becoming in your anointing. So let me review. Because of Christ's work, we now are not separated from anointing, but we have access to anointing. That anointing is available to us not because we're good enough, not because we followed all Pastor Nate's rules and got the royal stamp of approval. That's not how it works. Um, You're not good enough because of that. You're good enough because you have a substitutionary covering in your life, a substitutionary righteousness and holiness, and your effort to God is now worship and witness, do you see? But he is your righteousness. You can think about Hebrews 10, uh, verse, uh, ch- chapter 10, verse number 14, that Christ uh, has by one act, by one act made perfect. This isn't in your notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is uh, one of one, uh, Rick Mendoza's te- texted me this scripture after service this morning. I was like, that's the scripture right there. Christ in one act has made perfect. Perfect, all of you who are becoming holy. And it's more than that. You read Christ by one act has made perfect forever, the Bible says. All of you who are what? Becoming holy. How is that possible? I was hoping you would ask me. I'm all excited. This is how it's possible. Your righteousness is worship and witness. But when judgment comes by, they see only the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. So you now are not far from God. You have had what? anointing poured upon you and your life now builds a habitation of praise and worship for God. Can I have a big amen? That's why Monday ought to be about church too, not just Sunday. That's why Tuesday ought to be about worship. Nathan Mellix ought to be your worship leader one day out of seven and you ought to be your worship leader the other six out of the seven. 
and you ought to secretly think you do a better job than he does. You ought, to, you ought to be like me and secretly think if they'd just give me that microphone, I'd show them suckers how to break it down. And they won't give you that microphone. Six days a week, you're singing, but it's the angel saying, mm. Why? I am building a habitation under the Lord. I have the anointing of a priest upon me. I minister to the Lord. Secondly, I have an anointing upon me of a king uh, or of, in the New Testament, it is not masculine. In the Old Testament, there's this masculine uh, tone to it, but it gets broader in the New Testament like we read, sons and daughters shall prophesy. Here at First Church, we intentionally open our hearts to the anointing that is upon the ladies of our church, and we're thankful for them, and we are not trying to keep them Uh, in some way segregated, and I occasionally will have someone critique me and say, well, the Bible says a woman shouldn't take authority over a man, to which I say, you obviously are not married. (laughs) I mean, really, who are you fooling? You're smoking cracks what you're doing. Just because she's quiet doesn't mean you're in charge. Note to self, Pastor Nate making it plain. I want you to see there ain't no woman that wants to take charge over you. We have leaders that are all part of our pastoral self. Well, a woman shouldn't take charge over a man. I'm on the bucket. I'm just off the reservation. I don't even care. Just, just talk bad about me later. Let me, none of the women on our staff want to take charge over a man. They don't want to take charge over a woman. We're not about a hierarchy of this person has this value and this person has this value. We are together trying to manifest the heart of God to a city. We're not trying to take authority over anybody. Just, you know, just take your small world to somewhere else. That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, Y'all forgive me. I'm tired. I I drove seven hours yesterday, preached a funeral of a lovely 21-year-old man, got up at six this morning and came in here, so I deserve some passes. So there's an anointing on you. The anointing of a leper, you had nothing to do with. That is the gift of God. All you do is accept it and let it open other doors to you, which is the role of a priest and the role of a king, or as they say in the New Testament, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, both roles in the anointed people of God. And so here you see an anointing in the New Testament. And uh, we are worshipers and we are connected to people here at First Church. We make it our core value to love God and love people. We are priests vertically and we are royalty horizontally. Now that doesn't mean we're better. That means we mentor minister to God and we serve others. Why? Because in Christ's kingdom, everything's upside down. So a king would not rule, a king would serve. And a priest would not be ministered to, but a priest would what? Minister. All right, moving along. So we have as a New Testament call In our life, the opportunity, because sin has been removed and the anointing oil is now poured upon flesh, we have an opportunity because strangers are now welcome to come close and foreigners are now adopted into the household of faith and they all have the name of Jesus. 
because of that, we now have the opportunity to minister to the Lord and serve others. How do I know if I am anointed? I will say this. You are anointed, remember, for purpose. You are not anointed for reassurance. You should not, well, let me just say it this way and try to be kind with the way I say it, even though I'm kind of in a grumpy mood and I'll repent later. Um, But I'm not going to repent right now. I'm still having fun. I'm going to repent after it stops being fun. Just like you guys. I learned that from you. Don't act like that. Um, So so, uh, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Um, uh, What we have is this opportunity, this opportunity not to use anointing to make, an, uh, as it were, a special class of ourselves. That's why I hate the terminology that is the result of Calvinism about the elect. I know Paul talks about that in uh, the Gospels, and I know that God has a people, and I know that, but I want you to remember that it's an upside-down kingdom, and so if you're special, you're not special to rule. That will come later. You're special to serve. I know that you are royalty, but in this kingdom, everything's upside down. So you are royal to give, not to receive. Because in this kingdom, it's better to give. It's the act of a spiritual nobility to give. It's the upside-down kingdom. And so I want you to see that you have, because sin has been removed, an opportunity to step in a New Testament place of anointing. Anointing is given for purpose. What is the purpose is shown to us through symbol? The purpose of ministering to the Lord and the purpose of serving others. Now, there are traps along our way. And I want to, in closing, as our musicians come, I want to try to give this to you. And I pray, pray, pray the Lord would help me to say it in a manner where it smites you to your heart and you are able to perceive what I am trying to say. And that is this. Jesus said something to his disciples that even today is quoted and seems to be, as it were, a theme scripture of spiritual purpose for all who would follow him. And let me read uh, this passage. It is recorded in uh, more than one gospel. It is recorded in several places. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, somebody say anyone, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This is salvation language here. This is the, the Jews know what he's talking about. You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, why? Now, remember, all through the Scripture, we're taught through symbol. There's something we have sensed that we kind of understand, and the Bible uses that something that we've sensed with our five senses to teach us about a realm and a world that we cannot sense except through faith, and we look through a glass darkly. Does everyone understand that? Hopefully you do. Don't have time to make it any more plain than that today, maybe another time. And this symbol matters, and so Jesus says this to his disciples. Look. If you want to go my way, if you want to walk the way I'm walking, if you want to be in this path, this way I'm showing you, if you want to do that, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and uh, follow me. I want to point out here that at this moment, no one listening knows what he means by a cross. Jesus hasn't died on the cross. This is before. This is earlier when Peter still thinks he can stage an intervention. 
and they're going to have an intervention with Jesus. Lord, as your marketing director, I'm here to tell you this is a bad idea. Now, I know you mean well, but let's be honest, I could help you. Peter loves to help the Lord. This cross idea, Lord, far be it from thee. This is a dumb idea. I mean, excuse my French, but this is a dumb idea, Lord. Drop this cross business. It has no legs. On social media, we lost 2,000 followers when you said cross, Lord Jesus. Bear with me on my allergies. They're just exploding right now. They're trying to praise the Lord. This cross business, I don't even know what you mean by it. I'm thinking, Lord, trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm thinking about everything I know from my inheritance. There's no cross anywhere in there. There's no cross anywhere in my inheritance, Lord. Uh, Let me help you get a better image. Because there's no cross. Um, Lord, why don't you say this? (laughs) You know, as your marketing director, let's try this. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your ephod and follow me. Because that, remember David? Oh, that's so awesome. Hallelujah, hallelujah. David wanted to be a worshiper, and he was a king, and he laid down his robes, and he went and borrowed a robe uh, from a priest, and uh, then he put that on, and he joined the celebration, and he ran out before. It was awesome. See, I have saved you, Lord. I'm here as your salvation. And uh, no, he doesn't say that. No, he fought. Uh, oh, Lord, maybe you should have just said the vestments. Take up your priestly vestments. Now that resonates with my history, Lord. That makes sense to me. That's perfect sense. Remember the priest in that vestment is these precious stones symbolizing great things. You take up your vestments and follow me, Lord. That, that'll resonate. Our social media following will go up. It'll be awesome. Oh, and if, Lord, look, if you just have to, if you just have to, um, uh, consider saying, uh, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself and take up my word. That will work because, Lord, us Jews, we're people of the word. I mean, we're the first society to ever achieve universal literacy. I mean, we are word people. Hallelujah. We write it down and put it in the little curlets on our forehead. We're so wordy. Take up the word. Jesus intentionally chooses a symbol that has never been used. Let me tell you why I think he does. Because there's no way you can twist the cross into anything except my life for you. If it was the law, you could make it mean many things. If it was an ephod, you could make it mean many things. You could thread back through all the stories and all the examples and say, now Christ is this and Christ is that. And Christ is the other and Christ is the other. If you could just pick the word, well then you just do what everybody does and pick your favorite scriptures and say, this is what God wants. And uh, then there's something, I don't even know what you're talking about, Lord, but would you stop it with the cross? It's an object of shame. But Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross. And I know, I know that that's hard for you. I know that 
you're struggling with it because it's about dying. And so I'm going to make it worse by saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to be willing to, as it were, die. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. I know what I'm saying, Peter. I'm not confused. Um, So let me end with this. Jesus chose the cross because it for one and all eternity will become this image that he who was whole served you by taking your brokenness. And he who wasn't sick served you by taking your sickness. You can't take that out of the cross. You are anointed for purpose. And if you want to follow in the way of Christ, you have the option of two anointings in your life. And both of them will make the other stronger. You minister unto the Lord. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love others as as you would love yourself. You have two anointings uh, to worship and to serve. Here at First Church, I want to say this. I can't speak for all churches. Nor would I want to. God help me. But I want to say this. There is a trap waiting for believers to choose the reassurance, first of all, of a Pharisee. And what is that reassurance? I am saved because look how good I am. And you say, I haven't committed a sin and I don't know how long. I Well, let me say, first of all, how would you know? Do you know your heart? Maybe there's a scripture that says you don't know your heart. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was an actual scripture? Because then you wouldn't be arguing with me. You'd be arguing with the Bible. Not that you were bothered by that. But maybe the Bible says somewhere your heart is desperately wicked. How would you know if you sinned? It might be you pushed goodness into pride. It might be you pushed blessing into exclusion. It might be that you made a little crowd here that only accepts people after they have fixed themselves, not before they fix themselves. Lots of people fall into the habit of reassuring themselves because look how good they are. I want to say to you, that is the, that is the reassurance of a Pharisee. Secondly, there's the reassurance of a Sadducee. The reassurance of a Sadducee is, I believe, this idea of an elite among God's people. Did you know that all of the Sanhedrin council, all of them were Sadducees? Did you know that all of, all? well, okay, let me restate that. All of the high priests were Sadducees. Almost all of the Sanhedrin was Sadducees. Do you see? They are an elite of the elite. They are the highest of the high. And there are people, they are reassured by status among church people. They are reassured if they have a title. They're reassured if their right cousin is the head of the ministry. They're reassured by place and standing. That's the Sadducee. The Pharisee is reassured by look how good I am. Look at the price I paid. Nobody has paid the price I've paid. Man, I impress myself. I mean, after you praise the Lord, send me some praise. Okay, and then there is what I believe the way of the cross. How do I know I'm anointed? Are you giving your life to others? How do I know I'm anointed? Are you living for others? Are you giving your time to others? God, save this church from being a church that we reassure ourselves because we think we're good, but we're not in the harvest field. We have to, I want to challenge every one of you who consider yourself a strong believer. You could be teaching a Bible study 
You could. You could. You could make your life about others. Forget this business of, I feel like I'm saved because I've never smoked a cigarette. I've heard people say that. I've heard preachers stand in the pulpit and say, I want to say I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Well, I have. And I threw, nearly threw up after I tried to smoke that little thing I found on the side of the road. About two miles from here, on my way home from school, I found a cigarette. I decided I was smoking that thing, so help me God. And uh, that's the worst, dumbest idea I ever had in my life. I've heard preachers say, oh, I've, I've ne- these lips have never tasted alcohol. Okay. These lips have. These light lips didn't like any alcohol. <laughs> Uh, but these lips like iced tea. I'm Southern. But, I mean, you're not whole. Don't fall into the snare of the Pharisee. Don't reassure yourself because you think you've been good. How would you know? It might be pride. It might be religious vanity. Don't reassure yourself because you're always at the house of God. I'm always there. I only eat. All my friends are saved. All my family saved. I don't even know any sinners. Shame on you. That's the, that's the reassurance of a Sadducee. How about this reassurance? You could live for other people. You could look at your life and say, you know, I think I'm going to teach a small group this year because I can't live for myself. I pray none of us would be reassured by some imaginary list of our righteousness, but all of us would be convicted whether or not we're living our life for other people. Whether or not we are worshiping God with the anointing of a priest and serving others with the anointing of a king. I pray every one of us feels conviction if we're not seeking to be a blessing to the people in our world. I pray none of us would make an imaginary list. Well, I didn't commit that sin. I didn't watch that movie. I didn't wear that outfit. Therefore, I'm saved. No, 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 and no, you Pharisee. Are you uh, living a life of worship? Are you ministering to the Lord? Are you serving other people? Everything else that you do is a continuation of worship and witness. Do you see how it fits together? You are the anointing of a priest and the anointing of a king. What happens when you, uh, your life, your sanctification, your good works, what does it do? It worships and it Witnesses, Do you see how the Bible is threaded through front to back? It all fits together. What you can do is the role of a priest and the role of a king. And every one of us need to ask ourselves why I have been so gifted. Why has God been so good to me? Why have I been included when there's people who are trapped in drug addiction here? They wish their life was together, but my life is together. Why me, oh God? Could it not be that God has appointed you to be a, 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 a ruler over his inheritance? Could it be that his goodness is not about you? Could it be that his anointing is not about you having a better vacation, you feeling more righteous, you being proud of perfect kids? You see what I'm saying? Could it not be that we have two roles? We worship, we witness, we exalt, and we serve. We minister, and we pour ourselves out for others. Stand with me all across the house. There's only one place in the scripture where you see Jesus, as it were, uh, acting like a Pentecostal. Uh, The Bible says he rejoiced in his spirit. And rejoice in the uh, original means to leap or jump about for joy. That's what rejoice means. I don't know if Jesus literally did it physically uh, or it was kind of in his spirit and you ever been around somebody where they're like vibrating? They're so excited. They're just like, ah. 
Uh, it may have been like that. Either one's fine. But the point is, why would Jesus feel this way? I'll tell you why. You can read about it in uh, Luke chapter number 10. All the disciples have come back. And what have they been doing? They've been ministering all in the region. They have been seeing demons cast out. They have been, as it were, impacting their cities for God. And they come back and Jesus rejoice with, with them and reminds them that they should rejoice because they have been included in this work. They have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are not simply being dramatic over demons. This is a bigger work. It's about the salvation of souls in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus could have said, take up your ephod and follow me. He could have said, take up your priestly vestments and follow me. He could have chosen other image like, take up the tablets of law and follow me. He could have said, take up the word and follow me. But he chose a symbol that could not be twisted into anything but this, my life for yours my time for you my heart for you I'll pay your debt you cannot take the cross as anything but as a cry from heaven saying I love you this much I will serve you I will give you and as a church we need to all only be reassured not by the list of a Pharisee I didn't do this I didn't do that not by the place of a Sadducee look how righteous we all but by the reassurance that there's a cross on our shoulder and that cross is vertical horizontal it's God it's others it's if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for everyone here today. Church, right where you are, would you lift your hearts, lift your voices to God? I'm going to open this front up. Those of you who are comfortable, you may have already been vaccinated or already had uh, COVID, whatever. If you'd like to come out front, we, we're an altar church. We're always going to be an altar church. If you have a need, I'd like you to feel free to step out and be a part of this. Our worship team is going to lead us, and we're going to go deeper into the presence. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.